there is no other verb for video games at this moment, nor do I think there should be. I think we should still say we're playing a game rather than like we're experiencing an interactive media because I think there is value in play. Hello and welcome to Why Button, the podcast that asks why we care about video games. I'm your host, Kyle Starr. On this show, I interview creators, enthusiasts, journalists, and media personalities about their origins with video games, what keeps them so interested in the medium, and what excites them about the future. On this episode, I interview AJ Filari. AJ is the producer of this show, hi AJ, as well as Into the Aether, a low-key video game podcast, 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast, their own video game show, Asynchronous, a video game catch-up show, as well as a handful of others. I've been a big fan of AJ's work and was thrilled when they agreed to produce Y Button. Knowing that AJ focuses a lot of their time on video game related shows and hearing their guest spots on Into the Aether, I was very interested about why video games continue to fascinate them. Now, seeing as I'm recording this intro prior to AJ's production, I have no idea what they're going to do with this. This episode could be pretty straightforward or it could sound like an episode of Looney Tunes. It's anybody's guess. Your ears are at the mercy of AJ. Godspeed. Are you ready to podcast? I'm I'm ready to podcast, Kyle. I'm so ready. <laughs> I haven't recorded a single podcast this week because we're on a break from from asynchronous last week, and then ten very big books. We don't we don't record again until this coming Monday, so I haven't recorded anything in like two weeks. So oh, I'm so, you're, so I'm getting rusty, AJ. I'm yeah, I'm rusty. Thank you so much for. <laughs> putting it in those terms uh i was just gonna say i've got a lot of pent-up creative energy but we can say i'm rusty if you want kyle (laughs) (laughs) okay perfect well rusty aj um (laughs) first and foremost i should say welcome to why button thank you for doing this uh thank you for doing the show with me you're gonna be editing this so this is like a i'm sorry this is a double whammy for you look i am so used to being a part of conversations two times at this point i've been i've been editing podcasts uh, for about five years and f- all five of those years I have been editing a show that I'm on. So it's, it's, I, I am constantly used to hearing my own voice. I have my, my voice pumped in through my headphones at all times because in college I was on the radio and that was how you did it on the radio. And so I can't record a show if I can't hear myself. I feel so exposed and weird if I'm not being pumped directly into my own head. So no apologies necessary, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, that, that, I mean, just to introduce you to, to the audience of the show, you <laughs> yeah, are, sorry, the, I just went off on a whole thing. No, it's perfect. <laughs> you're actually going to, you're, you're leading into some questions that I have uh, a mm-hmm. bit later, but you are, I guess for all intents and purposes, you're the producer of the show. I, I reached wow. out when I had this idea for why button, I reached out and said, you know, I love your work on into the aether and asynchronous and, and, uh, I, I don't know if I've listened to synchronous. I want to talk about those, those <laughs> sure. two different shows, right? Asynchronous uh, and synchronous. Yeah, technically it's the same feed, but they are technically two distinct shows. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, we'll chat about that, but yeah, <laughs> listening to, to your work, I, you know, there are times when your work is subtle and great podcast production comes out of it. And there's sometimes when you are heavy handed with yeah. production and it gives its, its own AJ quality. <laughs> and, uh, and I absolutely love it. So I figured this show would be in good hands with you. And, uh, you agreed for some reason, uh, to, <laughs> to do this. And so, yeah, you've, you've now edited uh, or produced, um, several episodes of the show. Uh, mm. and I had a bit of time on my hands. You had some time on your hands and figured why not we have a chat about video games and all the, the fun that comes with that. Yeah. And I'm, I, I have to say I was, uh, truly flattered when you asked if I would, if I would come and be on an episode. Um, 
because I don't consider myself really an industry person, so to speak. Like I work on video game shows, but I don't consider myself like a video game person. But so I'm, I'm happy to be here and I do love video games. So that is a, a, a good a good thing. Yeah, I think that's what's important is really about, again, the, the premise of the show being why do we care about games is really just getting people on who care about games. Yeah, There is certainly something to be said if you get somebody of notoriety on the show who has a background in the industry or who's been around it for a long time. Yeah, And for now, just chatting with folks in my own network. But I think what's mm. more important is to learn from people who really do have an affinity for games and care for games and have throughout the course of their life to understand why that is. Um, so it doesn't really matter who you are or what you do, but more about, you know, why, why is, why do we care about this thing so much? I think people in the, in the industry definitely have a unique perspective. Yeah. Um, I think there's also what I find most interesting. You've heard me probably talk about this a little bit is folks who are, when I talk about celebrities, I always find it interesting when somebody is known for something other than a passion for games. I think for folks like you and I, who focus on games a lot in our life, mm-hmm. I, 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 when I consume media, it's all typically surrounded by games. And so it's it's no surprise when I talk to people or people who know me know that I love video games. But when somebody like, I don't know, AOC or you know, is sure. tweeting about, you know, uh video streaming games, among us. Streaming among us or something yeah. like that during the pandemic. It's like, wait, yeah. well, who what? <laughs> yeah. uh, I think there's something built in us that's like we think about games being a niche medium still, and it's mm-hmm. truly not. It's you know probably more people play games than don't at this point. Um, But when we see things like that, it's sort of shocking. And there's also sort of a, I think we grew up with a taboo around games. And so we, some folks are maybe a little more reticent to openly talk about it. Whereas others who maybe were born with it, you know, Mm -hmm. just openly and willingly kind of invite folks into that conversation. So I find it interesting when you come across somebody who's not necessarily known for it or known that that's a a passion or hobby of theirs to actually talk about it. And that's kind of why. So, yeah, I, I think, I think you make a really good point that in the last I don't know. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry um, to me who's editing, but also to anybody listening. If you can hear a crunching in the background, my dog has decided to bring his treat in. He should be done in a moment. But um, in the last like 15, maybe 10, 15 years, gaming has become more of just another piece of media, you know, and it's not like it's it's not as much of a in a different strata from other other media you know like i feel like for such a long time it was it was like you said it was like you're either a gamer or you're everybody else (laughs) and i think in in a lot of ways you know gaming itself has become more accessible but i think more people you know as as people from from like my generation and younger like i guess our our generation and younger sorry call me old come up it's just like (laughs) it's just like a thing a thing that we grew up with, right? So it's just, you know, it's it's just a part of our, uh, you know, media diet, for, for lack of a better phrase, I guess. And it's and it's not just, it's not this thing that is like, oh, if, you, if you're home playing like Sonic 2, like, you know, why aren't you outside doing something else? You know what I mean? Um, sure. it's, it's just more of a, 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 or less of a like thing now for people to be gamers. But for some reason, you're right. I'm always surprised when somebody is like, oh, yeah, like somebody of, of high status or whatever, a celebrity or AOC, whatever, is like, oh, yeah, I, I like to play games. It's like, wait, what? No way. Like, it's it's just such a weird, uh, like, circle to square for some reason. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not really sure why that is, you know? Yeah, well, we'll explore that a little bit. Before we get into that, though, I'm curious mm. about you and your story. Mm. Um, I typically start these these 
episodes by getting into what somebody does. If it relates to gaming or not, um, you are an audio producer. You produce this show as well as many others. Can you tell me about how you got into audio production and what some of the work you're doing is today? Yeah. Um, So the story about how I got into it is um, by accident. (laughs) I was going to college, um, you know, coming out of high school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to go to college for. I, I grew up in, in southern New Jersey, um, right around Rowan University. And so when I was touring colleges, like Rowan was like, you know, every town has like the, oh, if you go to this college, you're like stuck in the, you know, you're stuck in your town. And you're never leaving. Even though Rowan is like a highly accredited university, it's like, oh, if you go to Rowan, it's like you're, you're, you're stuck in, you know, Gloucester County for the rest of your life, which is like not a bad thing. It's a nice place. Anyway. I, I was on that tour and I was like, maybe I want to do something with math. Maybe I, you know, I like music, but I don't think I want to make that my major. And as we were walking around the Rowan campus, they brought us to the radio station. We didn't even go inside. They just showed us the outside and they were like, oh, here's the radio station. And here's like where our comm department is. And I was like, ah, that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, I love I've loved my video classes that I've been taking in high school. I've been making you know, YouTube videos with my friends since, you know, early middle school. Like, this is a thing I've been doing for a long time. Why not pursue that as a, you know, as a, as a passion or career or whatever? So that that's where that started. I wound up going to William Patterson University in northern New Jersey. It's up around where my sister lived. Um, and it's, you know, right outside New York. So a lot of people who go there immediately get internships or jobs right in the city. And I was like, okay, well, this sounds like a great, you know, obviously a great setup. If I'm trying to get into media, New York's a great place to be, blah, 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 all that stuff. Like two weeks into this, my first semester, I joined the radio station on campus, uh, WPSC 88.7 FM, Brave New Radio. Uh, <laughs> Award winning. It's, it's still stuck in there. I graduated five years ago yesterday and it's still stuck in there. I can't, oh, I can't man. stop. Um, it's like the songs I used to sing when I worked at Goldstone. I like, I know at least five of those still, <laughs> but yeah, so, so I was doing that. And even as I was uh, an active member of the radio station, I had, you know, at least two shows per semester after I you know went through like the, the original phase um, of like, just like the standard format music show. And then what we would call specialty shows, which were before 9am and after 7 p.m. We're like outside of format. You can kind of do whatever you want. You know, people are, you know, passion projects, I guess, is, is a word for it. Um, so I was doing those all through all through school. And I, I took six years to get my bachelor's. Uh, I was dealing with some pretty rough mental health stuff, but I got that figured out. Uh, shout out to Rob Quick, the head of the uh, comm department for telling me to go to a therapist. Uh, you've changed my life, Rob. And so even even doing the radio station for as long as I did, I was like, I'm not going to do this as a career. Like if I'm going to get into media, I have to get into something with video, you know, film, TV, whatever, all this stuff. But I was spending all of my time doing audio stuff. And so it wasn't until halfway, like like the beginning of my fifth year, I guess, where I was like, okay, I'm actually going to try and pursue audio or radio as like of the thing that I want to do. Right. So I started, uh, you know, taking all the high level audio classes, all the high level radio classes, all this stuff. Um, my professors, you know, always liked my work. I always liked doing my work. I, I, I discovered that, um, I have this like, I don't know, internal, it's not, it's not a clock. It has to do with timing though. So I'm going to call it a clock. I have this internal clock of like, I can feel like how long spaces should be in, in, in narrative scenarios, I guess. Um, and so like when something needs to breathe, I feel, I, I can like feel it in my chest of like, okay, and now we go into the next thing. Um, which, you know, is probably a pretty common thing among people who work in, in narrative, uh, narrative fiction period or, or nonfiction, but that's a, a feeling that I really loved. And to, to, to have my college professors be like, Oh, 
you're you've really got something with this. Uh, I was like, okay, well, this is you know something I want to pursue. And then right out of college, I hadn't gotten any internships. I hadn't gotten really anywhere in the industry, so to speak, just through just like crippling anxiety on all fronts. But I have this friend who is they are an ideas person and they have ideas all the time and they're constantly thinking about things. And they came to me one day and we were walking around their neighborhood and they were like, hey, there's this 10 book fantasy series that I'm finishing up. It's three million words. It is (laughs) every single book is bigger than the last. You know, they're at least a thousand pages each. Would you want to come be on a show or or would you want to produce that show? I I have my other two friends that I've roped into this. I've read the series before. They have not. And that's kind of the whole conceit of the show. Uh, And that's what turned into 10 Very Big Books uh, was the first show that I actually started working on. And what, what is that about? Yeah, so so this is the 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 Malazan Book of the Fallen is the ten book series. Uh, my friend Pete has read all ten and is rereading them uh, because famously, if you're in the like fantasy novel space, you know or you've heard of of Malazan Malazan, I suppose, as, as the author says it. Um, but it's a made up word. I can say however I want. Um, <laughs> they're all made up words. <laughs> they're all made up words. Exactly, Kyle. You get it. So they've read all 10 of the Malazan books. Uh, and then India and Josh, who were the other two hosts, had not. And so I was producing that show for two of the books. Every every episode, we'll talk about like three to four chapters, you know, kind of summarize them. There's a bit of a, a narrative summary, which was uh, always scratched that itch for me, um, where we'll like go through an entire chapter but it'll be underscored by um, it was actually really serendipitous. We were about to we were like three weeks out from launching the first episode. And I was still on the on the search for music because I wanted this to be a thing that could spin up into something larger. So I didn't want to use licensed music, you know. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, right. And so for the the like pre season episodes that we recorded just to get used to recording and, and you know what it would take to read these books every week. Um, we did a little bit of Dune. We did uh, an, another book that I can't remember um, just to like kind of get into the habit. I was using disaster piece music uh, who's done the soundtrack for it follows hyper light drifter Fez, all of these, you know, great stuff, but I've been listening to disaster piece, not to be that person. I've been listening to disaster piece since 2009 before, when they were just a, before they were cool, before, before they were cool, before they were cool. Yes. Uh, when they were just like a, a chip tune chip break artist, uh, which I love. That's like one of my favorite genres of music. Unironically, I will always, if, if, if I, in my Spotify, if a chip tune song comes on in my shuffle, uh, I will usually just go straight and just listen to whatever album straight through. Eight Bite and the Warring Nations by Disaster Peace is like a work of chiptune art. It is so good. Anyway, so I was using that music <laughs> as a placeholder. And I was like, I want something that fits this vibe that will, you know, that, that I can use for the show that is licensed, you know, royalty free, um, license free, et cetera. And the worst garbage, which is <laughs> Into the Aether, mm-hmm. uh, uh, another show the that show I The show is on. not the worst garbage. It is part of the worst garbage <laughs> yes. network. Yes, yes. The worst garbage uh, network of shows had Into the Aether on it. And Into the Aether had spun up a Discord. Um, so I think, I, I guess I have my timeline wrong. I guess we spent a long time talking about that, about 10 very big books. But anyway, 
Into the Aether had spun off a Discord that that had been it'd been really great. It's for you know for the community of that show. And in there, there's a self promo channel where uh, a, a guy named Jake who makes music under the name Amaranthin uh, posted a an album that he had just come out with that was based on and inspired by the Hyper Light Drifter soundtrack. And I was like, Jake, I'm I had never opened a private DM with a stranger faster in my life. I said, Jake, I. <laughs> would love to be able to use your music for this project. I can offer you literally nothing. We have no money. We have no metrics that'll like prove that people are going to hear your music. I am just, I, I adore the vibe. I think it fits the show. Great. Please. Will you let us use this? And he said, yes, thank God. Um, and we're still using it to this day. We're, we're almost done book 10. And so it's been four years now of using the album is called Simulant Rain uh, by, by Amaranthin. We'll put it in the show notes. I, yes, I need to hear please. this. I need it's, to hear this. It's so, it's so good, Kyle, and it fits the vibe so well. So that was really serendipitous. And so, yeah, that that is that is like a narrative part of the show. I've totally spun off into an entire tangent. I'm so sorry. This is how it happens. This is how the magic <laughs> happens, man. <laughs> I told you, I've, I've got all this pent up pod energy. Um, I need to speak into a microphone. Um, it's fine. My producer will edit all this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They'll get it. They'll figure it out. I've heard they're pretty good. Um <laughs> Uh, so that's the narrative portion of the show. And then the rest of the show is just us talking about the events of the chapters and our feelings about them. And the show has spun out in, you know, after like book three, after, actually after book three is when I joined the show officially, because after producing the first two seasons, I was like, this book sounds sick as hell. I want to read them. So I read the third book alongside editing the show. And then for the fourth book, I was very graciously uh, uh, given the a, a, a co-host spot. Uh, and so now I've been on the show since season four. Oh, wow. And it's been a great time. I love doing it. And the, the books are good. I like reading the books. Um, so audio production from there. <laughs> yes. Was kind of, no, I, I, I did this to you. I asked you about the show and, yeah. and so it was my fault, but, um, <laughs> but I'm glad I, I think there's, there are some, some threads that we can pull there yeah. as well that relate to, to this show. Yeah. But beyond, beyond 10 big books, uh, 10, 10 big, 10 very big books, 10 very big books, very yeah. big, which is also big. the uh, a title that I pitched as half a joke and we rolled with, and I'm very proud of it. I love, Perfect. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and I promise that's the most involved show I currently work on. The rest are basically just all chat shows and one show about frogs, which we'll also talk about. Yes. Um, so <laughs> we won't go that long uh, on any of the other stuff. But but yeah, so so audio production. Uh, that is basically where I got my start. Um, but like I said, I think I might have gotten the timeline wrong. Uh, and I guess I was working on spinning up 10 very big books when I met Brendan Bigley, mm. who is one of the hosts of Into the Aether, a low-key video game podcast. Previous uh, guest to Y Button. Previous guest on Y Button, yes. His co-host, Stephen Hilger. Uh, they were friends, um, I guess, in high school, a bit in college, they, they talked a little bit. And then Stephen moved to Chicago and Brendan was living in northern New Jersey. 
And eventually, I think Brendan was they wanted to, to create something and wanted to talk to Steven about video games. So they started this show. And I guess that was like mid 2018. I started listening to the show late 2018 um, because my partner Tara knew Brendan through a friend of a friend. I was like, oh, he's got this show about video games. You should listen to it. And so I did. And I was like, oh, I like I like this. I like video games. I, I you know, I listen to podcasts a lot. So so I can I can I'm, I'm currently working a food service job where I'm in the back mostly alone. Um, and so I can just listen to podcasts for eight hours, you know, five days a week. Uh, and so I was listening to that show. And then the our, our, our mutual friend who knew Brendan, it was her birthday. We all went down to a house in LBI in, in New Jersey, uh, Long Beach Island, sorry. And Brendan and I were talking and he was, you know, he, he had um, was working this new full time job and was like, hey, I hear you edit podcasts. <laughs> um, like, would you want to help out with mine? I, I just like, you know, we record for like an hour or two every week and, and I just don't have like the mental or emotional energy to like keep this up for the long term, I can tell. So if you could hop in and, and start working on this and I said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that was, I think, right before Christmas of 2018. We came up to my partner's parents for Christmas that year and I spec edited the first half this is actually very funny, the, uh, given the timing that we're recording this. I, re I spec edited the first half of their um, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild episode. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Just as like a Tears of the Kingdom came out last week. <laughs> a week ago. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, a week ago as of this recording. That's that's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, I sent them that and was like, you know, here's what my work will basically sound like. Um do you want to continue working there? I said, yeah, absolutely. And and that's that was 2018. Uh, and I'm still working on that show uh, weekly. And it's it's a great time. I love I love doing that show. He sold it to you as an hour or two a week, uh, not <laughs> yeah. realizing you'd be getting into editing eight hour long. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. At, at the time, retrospectives. Uh, yeah. At the time, I think maybe they had recorded their their 2018 game of the year. And I I think even that was only four hours. And so I was like, okay, you know, we're talking about 10 games each. You know, that makes sense. You know, we're talking for a long time. Um, but as Kyle has alluded to in 2020, <laughs> he recorded a games of the decade episode that was over eight hours long. Uh, and, and that was fun. They, we actually recorded that. No, sorry. We recorded the game of the year that year at my house. And that was a great time. And now for the season premieres and the games of the years, we've recorded all of those at my house, um, which has been just a very fun experience for all three of us to actually get together and record the show. It's a great time. I, I've been a longtime listener of Into the Aether and and uh, maybe even before you joined as the producer, but every season, I feel like you are more and more present in the show uh, mm. through your production. And that's, again, a big reason why I wanted you to do this show, whether or not it would come through in the production or just sort of clean up. Um, yeah. You get to sprinkle things in when it's appropriate, which is great. But I think... Yeah. Again, hearing your influence on that show is, is is really, really cool. And so as a listener, thank you. And congratulations <laughs> to you for being a part of it and, and doing such a great job. Thanks. I mean, that, honestly, that means a lot. I always love to hear when people notice my work because I feel like, especially for people who work on chat style podcasts or, or you know, shows or whatever, the job is to mostly go unnoticed. You know, you want to make cuts in a way that people aren't going to realize you're making cuts, but that are making the end product better. So when I'm given the creative freedom, like I am on Into the Aether, uh, and and with you, I feel like I have I can pretty much do whatever I want on my button if I if I so chose. It's it's really nice to be able to kind of flex that kind of creative like hello I'm here 
muscle. Um, it's and, and that's that's a very it's very rewarding for me, and I feel really grateful to be able to work on projects that the the people who are making the show trust me with making those choices and and kind of just like doing these things kind of sometimes getting completely so lost in a bit that i'm 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 just like looking up on youtube like luigi screaming uh golf club sound hitting a ball like and and then 10 minutes later it's like this whole composed bit uh that takes like four seconds in the regular episode but took me 25 minutes to actually make I'm not saying it's the greatest thing ever. What is? It's all subjective. Yeah. Anyway. But imagine if Mario Golf Super Rush was the greatest thing ever, Steven. Imagine if, like, entire religions were founded around Mario Golf Super Rush. Imagine if it was that good. What would that game look like? I just think it's really rewarding and and I love that I am I'm able to do that on a weekly basis. It's just it's every time something like that happens, every time that one of those bits happens <laughs> in into the ether, I just end up cracking myself up. <laughs> I I really only listen to podcasts exclusively when I'm out on uh, my runs, when I'm oh, when God. I'm running. <laughs> and I stopped listening to comedy podcasts because <laughs> I needed to breathe while I'm right. running. And so right. I couldn't just be laughing, but all of a sudden I'll be running and all of a sudden the Star Wars theme just pops up out of nowhere <laughs> or like Chris Plant randomly pops into an episode for like a second. And I'm like, wait, what is happening right now? <laughs> Like I'm losing, like, um, so anytime one of these little bits happens, it's, it's yeah. just, it's hilarious. And I, I, I just, it gets me every single time. So thank you. Thank you um, so much. Can I, can I quick ask, uh, reverse this for a second, ask you a question. Yeah. Did you listen to the idle thumbs podcast? A little bit. Uh, I did listen to to idle thumbs a, a little bit. Um, yeah. I always wanted to be, uh, more of a staunch listener of that show, but I, for whatever reason, I just, it never sank its teeth in. Yeah. I only listened to the last like 20 episodes because they stopped shortly after their 300th, I think. Um, that's the only reason I remember how long I was listening. And they, Chris Remo, who edited that show, would do similar things to how I now work on Into the Aether. Like that is kind of where I got this ethos of like a chat show doesn't just have to be two people talking. It can have sound effects. It can have, you know, I can have additional stuff to kind of punch up the dialogue. It doesn't just have to be two people talking for an hour and a half or two hours. And that's a conversation that Brendan and I had had early on because uh, Brendan had listened to in the, in, uh, Idle Thumbs for, for such a long time. And, and sorry f- uh, for listeners who don't know, that was a, a video game uh, talk show. Uh, Chris Remo, Jake Rodkin and uh, Nick Brecken, um, who all went on to work on various projects, but they all worked on um, or at least Jake and Chris worked on Firewatch. And and now they've they've gone on into the, the the wider game space, which is why Idle Thumbs had ended. But that's where a lot of that inspiration for how I work on into the Aether, and by virtue of that, you know, the rest of the chat shows I do um, is is very based in how Chris Remo worked on Canada. Idle Thumbs. So I, I would I be know. remiss if I did not shout that out. Ode to Waluigi. Oh, purple mustached, clever Waluigi, thou art such a genius when it is thy time to attack Mario and Luigi. <laughs> How thou attach springs to thy shoes, know I not. Why dost thou not have thy own video fame? Art thou enraged that thou dost not have one? Why dost thou fight the Mario Brothers? Thou art negative and wicked when shooting fireballs at thy green plumber, thy foe. Why art thou always cranky? And one last piece to this too, and I, I want to put a pin in the in the idle thumbs piece of this as well as into the aether because sure. that's going to come back. But uh, you also have, and we spoke about it a little earlier. You also have asynchronous yes. as well as synchronous. Yes. What's the premise behind that show? 
Uh, so asynchronous came about uh, when my friend Kim and I were talking in one of our group chats just about like, oh, we have all these friends who like love, you know, uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses, for example. Um, Brendan and Steven from Into the Aether loved it. A bunch of our other friends also loved it. And so we were like inundated with people who loved this game. And so as a joke, <laughs> we were like, what if we started a podcast? And then I did the thing where I can't stop thinking about a joke. <laughs> And it was just stuck in my head. And I was like, what if we did a podcast? How would we do that? What would it sound like? Like, what's the premise? What's the week to week? Whatever. And so eventually I was like, Kim, I, I can't stop thinking about this. I just need to say it. And if it doesn't become anything, that's fine. But I am on the record. Let me say I'm fully down to make this podcast with you where we will play through games that we missed when they came out. And so the, we, we, we started up uh, asynchronous, a video game catch up show. Um, we started recording, I believe, June of 2020. First episode dropped September of 2020. And we have now played uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses, 13 Sentinels, and Mass Effect 1, 2. And we're almost done Mass Effect 3 at this point. And the Mass Effect games were all games that I missed. Um, Kim has played those before, but I, I felt like those were critical to my like well-roundedness as a gamer. You know, <laughs> like I feel like that's like kind of required yeah. reading in some ways. Exactly. Actually, that, that kind of leads me to the next question of like, what, mm. what is your selection process for that? You, you, you know, yeah. those are required, I think required reading games. And I have only played one of the three that you just mentioned. I mean, if, <laughs> if you're saying Mass Effect is a trilogy and that's one, but I have, I've yeah. only played Fire Emblem Three Houses, which I mm. absolutely loved and adored. And that's probably the game that has the most play on my, on my Switch. Yeah, it's a big game. It is. And it's just, it's so good on, on so many levels. It's, it's good. Mm -hmm. But what, what is the, so what's the methodology for selecting the games that you pick on asynchronous? Yeah. I mean, it's basically just like, you know, we, we initially came up with a list just kind of going back and forth of like, oh, I haven't played this. I haven't played this. I haven't played this, whatever. That's how we got to kind of 13 Sentinels and Mass Effect also on top of Fire Emblem. So we just kind of, we have a list of games that, you know, one of us has played and the other hasn't or that neither of us have played that we're both interested in playing. And that list has changed a bit over the last couple of years just because, you know, the the way that we play games on the show is very much not like how you would play a game in real life. You know what I mean? Um, so? so like we were we were taking we were taking chunks of the game and we would talk about a chapter or two of Fire Emblem and if you've ever talked to anyone about Fire Emblem Three Houses, they always say something along the lines of like, I blacked out for a whole weekend and played the entire game. <laughs> and for yeah, us, totally, we were playing that game for like six months. And so after a while, it, it kind of became, it started to become a bit of a slog in some ways, mm -hmm. just because it was like, I want to finish this game so bad, but in order for the shows, for because... <laughs> The lengths that we were doing the shows was like two hours for like a chapter or two. And so if we did, you know, if we played the amount we wanted to play, we wind up making, you know, three eight hour podcasts instead of several, you know, one to two hour podcasts. And that's just like, that's totally off the table. That's like not even a thing that like, you know, I can do it once a year, but I can't do that. I can't do that several times a year you know, editing shows that are that long. It's just too much time in one project, I think. And so, you know, the, so the list has changed a bit. And then with 13 Sentinels, which is like largely just a visual novel, that really also taught us a lesson of like, if we're doing a game that is really story based, we are going to be talking about it for a long, long time every week because it's so dense. But if we don't play enough of the game, this season is going to take forever. <laughs> 
So like halfway, and that's also a, not a flaw of the show, but that's, it's like a pain point of the show is like, we don't really know exactly how we're going to cover a game. If we both, if we both haven't played it, we don't really know how we're going to cover it until we're in it. You know what I mean? And so like five or six episodes into 13 Sentinels, that's kind of where we really kind of settled into how we were going to do it. But then I think the season only wound up being like 13 or 14 episodes. So it's like half the season. We're like, is this it? Is this it? You know, how are we, you know, whatever. And so, so that's, like I said, has affected kind of the way that we, we choose the games that we're going to be playing. And, uh, yeah, so we're about to finish up Mass Effect 3, and that's just, I'm having an absolutely wonderful time. Um, I, Kim is great to talk to. I believe she has a bachelor's in, like, child literature studies or something. Oh, cool. Um, and I have a minor in film studies and a major in media production, and so we both have kind of this media criticism, you know, media examination lens that we kind of look through look look at the games through um which i think is really great it's it's really you know as as much fun as it is to to flex the creative muscle on into the aether or y button or, or these chat shows it's as equally as fun to flex the like analytical kind of like yeah. really looking into a piece of media muscle on on asynchronous and so that's re- that that is really what i get out of that show um uh, and hanging out with my good friend kim <laughs> and do you to on that on that point do you find that criticism of games to be any different than say film or anything else that you've you've critiqued in the past yeah we kind of talked about this a bit at the end of our 13 sentinel season we 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 did like a big q a show um and somebody asked like uh, something along the lines of like of what you just asked of like how is this different than like if this was a tv show or a movie you know how, could right. you still talk about it in the same way yeah. and where we landed on that was 13 sentinels like works exclusively i think as a video game um, just by the way that it plays and and the the way the story unfolds, I think you ne- you as a you need to be a player. You can't just be an observer. Like you need to have active hands on, even though it is just a visual novel and you basically are just like hitting A and reading. Like you need to you need to have the controller in your hand in order for that story to hit uh, as hard as it does. And as a player, you're sort of controlling the pacing too, right? Like, yes. Yes, you're reading it like a book. You're watching it like you would a movie or the the, the visuals, the illustrations. Mm-hmm. But you are the one controlling sort of the pacing and the flow and moving the characters around. I played just like me. I. God, not even an hour of that game. Sure. But understanding what you can do is just you're sort of moving around a scene, chatting with with characters. But yeah. again, you're controlling that pace and and whatnot. So I guess for listeners who aren't aware of 13 Sentinels, that's sort of the deal there. But yeah, you know, you can if you bill it as a visual novel, the question then is, well, why not why not critique it like a book or why not just make <laughs> it a book or something? Right? Yeah. So. Yeah. But I think more directly to your question of like, well, how is this different than, than critiquing it like another piece of media? I think video games are this special kind of media where you can say something is 30 hours and most people who play video games often will be like, oh, okay, yeah. And like, if I told you I watched a 30 hour movie, I think you would probably, you know, never talk to me ever again, because that's like something, you know, that's something that an unstable person does is watch a 30 hour movie. But for a video game, it's so it's so different because you are experiencing the story. You have a hand in how the story plays out, even if it is, like you said, even if it is just a visual novel where you're 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 hitting A to, to like read through the next stuff, you're controlling the pacing, you're controlling the characters, you are inherently connecting yourself personally to the character that you're controlling. You know, I think that's like that is an unavoidable part of video games is is starting to kind of empathize with your character, for me at least personally, I guess. 
I, I begin to empathize with my characters and like a game that's very divisive. And I don't mean to, to bring up discourse on your show, but like The Last of Us 2 is a game that wants you to play through one story their way but you have the controller. And so inherently you are going to become connected to this person that you are, you are controlling. And when they make choices that you know are objectively bad choices and you cannot change that, it hits so, so much harder than if you're just watching it on a screen. Because if you're watching someone make bad choices in a movie or a TV show, you're like, you moron. That's a dumb choice. But when you're playing as that character, you are... You're calling them a moron, but you are so pissed off because it's like, why don't I have the option to do the correct thing? And the answer is because the game is trying to tell you something. It's trying to tell you this story. It's trying to evoke these emotions out of you that I don't think a lot of the time, I don't think other pieces of media uh, really can evoke, you know? Yeah. Being a, a participant versus an observer, I think exactly. is, is the, the point. Exactly. And I, and I do just want to shout out the first game I played that made me feel something like that was uh, Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. Uh, that game rocks and has such an incredible story and does some amazing things uh, mechanically uh, toward the end of that game that like fully made me sob uh, at my laptop on my childhood couch. I was like 16 years old, barely in touch with my emotions, sobbing on my couch. Um, so I would highly recommend that game. <laughs> I, so it's funny. I, I've heard there are a lot of people that have that reaction to games. And as much as I love games and find, have a deep attachment to them, mm -hmm. I have learned and through conversations on the show and mm. just playing in general, I haven't ever experienced that sort of like that reaction to a mm. character or a story beat. I've had certain certainly moments where I'm like, wow, that was that was very, yeah. very, very interesting beat. Last of Us, I think the, the Last of Us won, uh, the, the first mm. part of Last of Us. The ending, I felt like kind of shocked. You yeah. Know, like, oh my God, I didn't necessarily see that coming. That was an interesting and bold choice. Yeah. Um, I talked about it on an earlier episode of this show. I played Journey, um, which mm. I think was a very meditative experience. I think that was more, that might be the closest I've had to an like a sort of a profound experience. Mm -hmm. Um, wasn't in tears by any means, but at the end of it, I just, I kind of looked at the world a little differently. I think after yeah. playing that game, sure. Are there moments like step, step through some of your life? Like, where did you start with games? I, I oh, ask yeah. most of my, my guests that I'm very curious where you started. Um, I also, and I guess behind, behind the scenes peek here, I've also learned that my guests aren't always my exact age. Some are older <laughs> and some are younger. And so it's always sure. interesting to hear where they come into this medium. Some people, yeah. you know, it wasn't around in the beginning. And then all of a sudden they, they happened upon it when they were like five or six or whatever. And then some people <laughs> are just like born with it, right? Like that's just mm -hmm. a part of, part of life. So that's sort of where the, the question comes from. Where, where was your moment? Where did that yeah, start? Yeah. Um, I guess just for the record, I'm 29 years old. There's a reason that I brought up Sonic 2 and the Sega Genesis earlier in, in kind of a, a, a side comment uh, is because that was like the first game that I really remember playing Sonic, Sonic 2, and then eventually Sonic 3, Sonic Pinball, Sonic 3D. We had all the Sonics on the Sega Genesis. And I guess it's also worth noting, I am the youngest of four by 8, 10 and 12 years um oh, so wow. all yeah so all my siblings are in their late 30s uh or early 40s currently and i like i said i'm 29 so so they had grown up you know through the nes all this stuff through the snes uh and the sega genesis and i not really sure who 
wanted the Genesis at first um, because I wouldn't really describe any of my siblings as like gamers at all. And, and so like it was just like kind of a thing that was like in our house that I interacted with like on a daily basis. Hmm. And so, you know, I, I would play I played all the Sonic games, you know, the Golden Axe and Double Dribble and all these other games that were on the Sega Genesis. It was a great console. Great time. I still have it. Um, when my parents were like, OK, we're getting rid of the Genesis. I was like, you're absolutely not. I'm taking that with me. Uh, and so now it's just it's 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 currently in a drawer in my living room. Um, but I could go grab it right now if I wanted. Okay. <laughs> um, and so then, you know, as I grew up and grew older, the Game Boy Color came out. Uh, I got that for Christmas one year. I, I got into, you know, uh, early computer games, you know, Pajama Sam, kind of like the, the the children's computer games, I guess. We did eventually get like Sonic and Knuckles on, on a disc, which was fun. And then into middle school and high school, um, my freshman year of high school, I got a laptop. Uh, up until then, I was using my family computer and I would just, you know, bogart that thing for hours at a time playing whatever I was playing, downloading whatever I was downloading and my parents not knowing, uh, you know, all that, <laughs> all that stuff. But then I got my own laptop and I got a Steam account and I got into, I think the Orange Box came out in 07, something like that. And so I got my first laptop in 08 and I got the Orange Box, which was uh, Half-Life Half-Life 2 and Half-Life 2 Episode 1, I think. Something like that. I can't remember exactly what the freaking things were. Uh, and then also Team <laughs> Fortress 2. So I, you know, I played a bunch of TF2 with friends online as I got older into high school and, and all that stuff. And um, played a little bit of World of Warcraft, uh, played a little bit of Guild Wars 2. I was never a huge MMO person. Um, I had too much like social anxiety to like actually ever LFG look for, looking for group. Uh, and I would never do any of Thank the, like, you. Like, I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a common thing for like for like MMOs, uh, massively multiplayer online games to, you know, look for group for a dungeon or a raid. And, you know, you try and if you're putting together the group, you're trying to get a certain amount of healers and a certain amount of tanks and a certain amount of people to deal damage, you know, all this stuff. Um, and I was just always too afraid to like even type into the chat, like looking for group for Icewind or uh, for, for Ice Spire Citadel, whatever it was. And and so I played those games, even though they were MMOs, I was playing them mostly by myself. Same. Uh, <laughs> I, I played World of Warcraft for probably all of 20 hours or so, but it was all single player. <laughs> I didn't want to engage with anybody. Yeah. Scary. <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah. Anyway. And then uh, in my senior year of high school, I believe was when the PS4 came out. And my, so that was 2011 into 2012. My now brother-in-law had a PS3, got the PS4 and was like, hey, do you want this PS3? And I said, yes, absolutely. Um, up until then, I was an N64 kid. I was I was just a N Nintendo kid. So, you know, I played uh, the N64. I, I was big into like Paper Mario, um, which is like one of my huge formative gaming experiences. And, and you know, the GameCube and the Wii and the Wii U. I had all that stuff. But I was never like... <laughs> there's this weird thing about like the Wii Wii U era of Nintendo where it's like you're you don't really fit into a console generation you know you're kind of in your own little area doing your own thing just because of the way that Nintendo wanted developers to make games it was just easier for people not to make games for Nintendo systems at the time um which is a big bummer um 
because I, I did. I loved my Wii and the Wii U was uh, was was fine, but I don't think needed to be its own system. <laughs> no, um, not at all. Mine's yeah. in the garage still. That is one where I picked that up from a, a friend of mine, <laughs> sent it over, and I, I still have one in the garage. And my Wii is right over here next to me. Nice. Uh, I love that thing. I still love the like the UI and just the, the industrial design of it as well. Like it's, it's great. The console feels nice. The console feels great, and and there's no other like piece of whether it's gaming hardware or just like any other type of of media hardware where everybody knows the theme song to the channel where you can buy the games. <laughs> you know, like that the the Wii Shop Channel song is one of the wildest things to me. That it's like, yeah, this exists and we all know how it goes. And it was just like where you went to go spend five bucks to play Mario 3 again. You know, it's just, it's it's so interesting how left behind that is now. Yeah. You know, all of these UIs, they're nice. You know, like I like the way the Series S looks. I like the way the PlayStation looks. I like the way the Switch looks even. And it's like, but at what cost? You know, like <laughs> what, what, how far can like clean UI, like minimalist design take us? You know, bring bring me back every single window is like a little CRT TV and every single channel has its own song. Like, yeah, like a little bossa nova track. Like a little bossa nova. Music, right? Like, what are we doing? We want to, it's just, it, it's, it was, such a system made to make every part of the experience enjoyable like just sitting on the home screen and listening to like the ambient like beeps and boops of the Wii home screen is just like so pleasant and it's just like I, I just yeah man I guess I guess I guess I have feelings about this you know I apparently <laughs> yeah we've uncovered something we've unearthed really unearthed something here but uh, we have really unearthed something here uh, God, <laughs> thank you there it is uh, there, I'm going to put a, a little uh, like applause there or something. Um, so just just a note for the producer when they're editing this. Um, but yeah, so so I was a Nintendo kid until I got the PlayStation 3 for my brother-in-law. And then uh, I've got the PS4 and then uh, got the Series S um, late 2021, I believe. And and that is really the, the state of my gaming currently. Um, I've stopped gaming on my PC, which I'm kind of upset about, but I work here and I can't work in game here. And it's just not that the Steam Deck is so high up on my list of things that I want to purchase this year. And I just don't know if I'm going to be able to. But like, I think if I got a Steam Deck, it would be it would be over for me. You know, I have so many yeah. games in my Steam backlog and so many games that I would like love to pick up on a next gen console, because even the Series S isn't like the top whatever, you know, like it doesn't have the the high frame rates, et cetera, whatever. Uh, but like if I wanted to play, I, I want to play the director's cut of Death Stranding and I already have it for my PlayStation 4 and I would feel weird buying it for my PS4 again. Uh, so I'd rather just get it on Steam Deck. You know, and so I can kind of play it on the go because I put so much time into that game specifically um, that I don't I don't want to I would I would love for it to be a thing where I don't have to like post up on my couch again for 120 hours. You know, yeah. uh, I'd love to be able to take it places with me. But so that that is that is the state of my gaming presently. I'm going to just key in on Death Stranding real quick. Please. I didn't play Death Stranding. I know a bit Ooh. about it. But would you consider that one of the, those games that sort of captivated you? It definitely captivated me. But I wouldn't say it's like something up there with like Brothers or Last of Us that like elicited this emotional response from me. Mm. Just just because I I'm I'm a huge fan of Hideo Kojima. I love the the Metal Gear Solid games, um, and so I was predisposed to love Death Stranding. But <laughs> Kojima's stories 
come with so much baggage of like, we are going to take you all the way around the world in order to get to something that you could have just turned around to look at. You know, it's it's they take these 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 wild routes uh, just to get to to these kind of simple messages which is fine. And it's like really enjoyable. And I love the stories. I, I love I love a lore dump. If there's one thing I love, it's I love if somebody just opens their mouth and exposits at me, you know, and and so that is all the Metal Gear Solid and Death Stranding is uh, story wise. But in terms of it captivating me, I think it was just the, the, the world was so f- exciting to explore for me and felt so rewarding. And, you know, it's the first strand type game um, where you are you are interacting with other players kind of passively and so there are parts where you can like build roads but you have to contribute like thousands and thousands of resources to these machines that will then build the road but every time you go back to those machines other people around you know who are playing this game are also contributing to that machine so it really does feel like this kind of collective action thing the lowest the lowest form of collective action is like contributing resources to a a a fake road building but um it's still it's still kind of like scratches that itch a little bit and an uh Another thing is, is like, as you would run around that game, you know, the game is all about exploring and, and the mechanics are all built around your your traversal as Sam Porter Bridges. I'm wearing my Bridges hat today on purpose. Oh, um, look at that. <laughs> but you're, 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 the, the mechanics are all based around you walking around this world, basically. And there are points where you can see, like, blazed trails like you can see footpaths that people have taken and that is from actual people who have played the game and have taken that path you know thousands of people walked this path over this little hill and now there's a divot in the middle of this hill because it has been walked on so much that it has eroded down to like you know being being a a a basic pathway and i think that's just like those little touches in that game are so so rewarding to me and it, it really does make it feel like it is this like communal experience um which is a huge thing a huge huge thing that i look for in games that that will always get me to to love them like even if the 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 story or the gameplay is like okay at best if i can interact with somebody in a meaningful way and have kind of a a, a, an experience with another person i will always value that higher than than anything else that a game can give me yeah, I think that's going back to my experience with Journey. As you were talking about Death Stranding, it was reminding mm-hmm. me of that a little bit. Like, that Definitely. is a very, very minimal, like minimalist version of interacting and in, in, uh, community within a game. Right. Spoilers: If you haven't played Journey, a now probably fifteen-year-old video game at this point, or, yeah. or coming up on it, you as the character, you basically going from point A to point B. You see a mountain in the distance, and that's where you need to head. And you go through several different levels to get to that point. But throughout it, all of a sudden, you might come across another character that looks just like you. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, I thought that that was the computer. I thought that was AI. I thought that was Mm -hmm. just part of the game. You know, oh, there's another little character like me. I should follow it. And that's going to help me kind of uh, path through these levels. Yeah. And it wasn't until the very end of the game when I finished it, all of a sudden after the credits or before the credits or whatever, during the credit sequence, it shows you the the handles of the other players who were playing the game alongside you. That character that I saw in the game was actually somebody else who was playing at the same time. And we were helping each other lead each other through this game. And that was this very like kind of profound moment of like, this is what a game can, can be now. It's not just 
a multiplayer shooter where you get online and, you know, it's team A versus team B and you're trying to capture the flag or get as many kills as as possible or, or, you know, whatever, playing a sports game. It was these subtle ways that you can incorporate community within a game and now taken to, you know, further extremes with things like Death Stranding and actually making impact on the environments within the game. That's that's shocking. Uh, Thinking back to my, you know, just playing super mario brothers uh <laughs> and having to pass the controller back and forth uh between yeah. mario and luigi yeah now we have these these richer experiences i think that model or, or ape things that we do in real life yeah as the besties had said for a long time uh they're not pac-man anymore you know definitely not not pac-man anymore <laughs> it's not pac-man anymore earlier on in the episode so th- actually a few things i'll just kind of lay the cards out sure. um as i'm as i'm looking at your story i'm becoming a this is my tarot card uh oh wow uh, moment um so you you obviously were into games from a young age you you've always mm-hmm. been into playing games you were listening to uh probably amongst others but you were listening to idle thumbs podcast at one point in your life you mm-hmm. have become the producer for shows like into the aether and now why button you have your own show about video games uh, asynchronous you know when listening to i don't know your iphone or ipod or whatever it is you listen to to music through and mm-hmm. uh chiptunes track comes up uh you know <laughs> while you're shuffling uh you will pause what you're doing and play that album from front to back so you mm-hmm. have a, a you know inherent uh a, you know when you hear those sounds i imagine that illicit video games you you key in on that mm. um this is seems a bit like there there's something here uh, you know that I I want to unpack and want to uncover like the, the again the why the whole point of this the the podcast is like yeah. why is this something that you feel you gravitate to I don't think it's unique for for people to to gravitate to this medium and I think people do it for different reasons you mentioned you know community being a, a big a big piece of of uh, games for you but I I'm, I'm curious as to what you why you gravitate to these sorts of things, even outside of the actual medium and playing the game, podcasts, listening to music, um, and, and and other things. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great that is a great question. <laughs> I start think, with start with chip tunes. What what is it about chip tunes that yeah, that, well, that, like so, you you enjoy? Yeah, I honestly, I, I I just think it's fun. You know, it's it's fun music to listen to, uh, and I do think, like, so, weirdly enough, I have somehow not made the connection that, like, oh yeah, this is what video games sound like, uh, or like you know, used to at some in some ways. Um, but even like the Sonic the Hedgehog soundtrack, like Chemicals, uh, Chemical Hill Zone uh, or Chemical Plant Zone, that that track goes so hard. So I think I think uh, just just I enjoy the the like Sega sound font style of of music. And I, I, I I'm not sure if it is because of video games or if it is kind of alongside video games like that is another reason why I loved my Sega Genesis experience so much is because of the music also. But I could see it being like I've played so much Sonic 2 that when I hear that kind of you know compressed snare sound like like just like a sound it, it it activates something in my brain that's like oh i'm playing i'm playing sega again 
you know, I'm having a great time with my friends Sonic and Tails. Um, tra- and I, I definitely it, think they transports you. It, 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 yeah. Yeah. And I definitely, especially with that disaster piece album I was talking about earlier, Eight Bite in the Warring Nations is basically a concept album of it's it is a story like it, it has an arc every every like song title is like it's titled like a video game track so there are there's like the oh man it's like the plaid plateau or something and that has its own theme and then you get to like the dark dungeon and that has its own theme and all this stuff and so i think for that album specifically yes i see this journey in my head and i am like along with it i am watching you know in the back of my mind while i'm doing whatever else i'm watching eight bite this you know this little character whatever make his way through these trials and tribulations uh uh to to the end um and so i think there is something kind of inherent within the chiptune space to some extent that is based in like these sounds come from games you know in some respects uh, and so the songs in a lot of t- a lot of times kind of honor those origins, I guess, where they are also trying they, they have an arc to it. And I think part of it is because there's no lyrics. You are kind of making the journey in your head based on what you are hearing. And so I think I, I, I think where I'm landing here is just like the the journey that I see when I listen to these songs is similar to the journeys I would go on with Sonic and Tails and Knuckles in my childhood on the Sega Genesis. That's awesome. Um, (laughs) So when I listen to music in general, I don't hear lyrics at all until probably like if there is lyrics in something, I don't hear it until probably like the 10th time around. And even then it's, it's just kind of background noise to me. Mm. I do listen to the music when I listen to something like if if it's a chiptunes um, track or album, like, yes, there's certainly like all of a sudden my world. uh, And I do this with regular music too. It's the point of me saying, I don't listen to lyrics, any type of music, really. I sort of like, I I wrap my world around, you know, wrap it with that music basically. Yeah. And it becomes the soundtrack. Right. But when there is something like you said, instrumental, you, you sort of start creating these narratives in your head. I think Mm -hmm. Um, it's very interesting that you do that with games that you picture the game as you are, as you're listening to, to the music. Um, Yeah. That's fascinating. What about podcasts? And not necessarily producing, but you do, I mean, you listen, uh, you mentioned, um, you know, you were listening to Idle Thumbs way back when. Um, mm-hmm. You spend countless amounts of hours editing podcasts, talking about video games. Mm-hmm. Um, does that, I guess, A, what's the reason for, I mean, the, the draw to just listen to people chat about video games, even when you're not playing? And then has your experience sitting down and editing podcasts hours and hours and hours of content about video games changed your relationship with games at all? Hmm. In terms of the latter, has it changed my relationship with games? I don't think so. I I think the basis of it is that I just like listening to people talk about things that they enjoy. And if it is also a thing that I enjoy, that's kind of doubly, <laughs> doubly enjoyable to listen to. Uh, but I also like, I don't have... A, the desire or B, the time all of the time to play all of the games that I want to. And so it's really nice to listen to shows like Besties or Into the Aether uh, or Idle Thumbs at the time. Um, or there's a, a show called Video Game Potimism that my friend Chase hosts where, where they play, you know, all they play current games, but they also play, you know, oldies all the time. And it's it's just so much fun to listen to people talk about this medium in a semi-critical way but also in a way where it feels like I am just hanging out 
with those people, you know, like it feels it, it there is something I think parasocial about it, which is a, a little bit, you know, woogity. Um, but I, I, I think it's, it's just, it's, it's this idea of like, yeah, these are all people who, you know, in some ways, or when somebody is enjoying a game that you also have enjoyed, I think maybe this is inadvisable, but I think you can kind of make a value judgment on that person <laughs> and who they are <laughs> based on what they think about a piece of media that you have also experienced. And and based on how you came out of that experience versus how they came out of that experience, I think you can you can kind of draw some some lines there. And maybe this is kind of dangerous territory of like making value judgments on people you have never met. And it probably is. But that is that is kind of what I what I get out of it. It's like, if somebody doesn't like a game that I like, I will be like, oh, man, I can't believe you didn't enjoy this. Like what? You know, not like you must be a bad you're person. Ba- you're something. a bad person. But, yeah. <laughs> but but like I, I do, I, I have a feeling about it. And then, you know, I'm I, I just kind of I guess I sit with that and then I kind of start interrogating my own reasons of like, well, why do I like this and why didn't they? And, you know, do I can I understand their reasoning behind whether they did or did not like this thing and i think that's that's a big part of it also is like i love like this might be a weird phrase and i've never said this before i love perspective (laughs) i guess and i love so so and by that i mean i love to hear people speak from different experiences than my own Mm. so that i can have a more well-rounded so i can reflect and have a more well-rounded view of why I think or feel a certain thing in a certain instance. Um, and I think video games, like I said, I think elicit an emotional response from you, whether it's like, this was a profound experience for me. It is, you know, like you said about journey, it is like changed the way I see the world in some ways, or if it's like this game is dog shit and it controls like garbage, uh, you know, whatever (laughs) I, I, I just, I, I, I like, I just like hearing people, talk critically about pieces of media you know and and i think that is where like the idea for asynchronous came and that's that's where my my film studies minor came from is i just like hearing people's experiences on the same piece of of you know media that i may or may not have consumed um does that answer that question yeah no a hundred percent and i'm having a realization too like um by you saying that I, so I, let's see, I, I used to be, and I mentioned this on an earlier episode of the the show too. I used to be very big into uh, like turn-based um, RPGs, mm. Final Fantasy, namely. Sure. I, I love that. Like I could sit down and even before this, my, my stepdad taught me how to play chess and I used, I mm. got into chess uh, at a couple different points in my life. Um, most notably in high school, the time when, you know, to be all the cool kids were playing chess and all the cool kids are in the chess club. That's, yes, that's true. Exactly. So I was anyway, um, <laughs> but that, that whole, I, the thought that I could think about my next move, it wasn't this action platformer that I had to, you know, progress things along before the time ran out or a, a fighter where I had to like make my move. Now it's all yeah. real time. Yeah. I could have a moment to breathe and to think about how, what's the next move I'm going to play out. I think final fantasy 10 was the, you know, the combat system was, is amazing in that game in the sense that I can actually see who's going next and that I can mm. plan my attacks that way. Much more of a tactics game than, than anything. I think at that point, to that point, final fantasy tactics, anything that allowed me that, that was not real time, I think was, was a, a very fun experience for me. Fast forward to today when I have, you know, tons of different responsibilities, projects like this work, my family, my house, my dog, you, you mm. name it. I don't mm. have a whole lot of time to play video games. I still consume tons of media around video games, but I only probably play, I don't know, a couple hours a month 
uh, sure. if that, it, you know, assuming a new Zelda hasn't come out, which is now starting to <laughs> creep into, into yeah, my yeah, life. Yeah. Find, I'm all of a sudden finding time to play that game. Interesting. I don't know how, Interesting don't know how that happens. Um, <laughs> but anyways, I, I don't, I, I don't have the time to play like I used to. And so when I try yeah. to play a turn-based strategy game, all of a sudden I'm, it's very tedious for me. I don't, I can't do it. Mm. I just like, I, all of a sudden, like I refuse or reject the experience. I just picked up advanced mm. wars one, one and two, and I can't even make it through the tutorial. I'm just Ugh. filled with anxiety because I know what the commitment is going to be right. with each round. Right. Um, I thankful that fire emblem three houses hit when it did before, uh, we had our daughter before we had our house there. Mm. I had a little less on my plate, but anyway, I had a little more time on my hands and that, it was, you know, is a tactics game basically. And I could actually, you know, spend large chunks of time with that game, mm-hmm. but now no longer, I've tried to pick it up recently and I, I just can't. Yeah. Um, so that, I think the, the whole point about you saying perspective and like different people's takes and perspective on games, I think it's not only like, these are why I like these types of games, but it's like, I like these types of games in this moment because of X, Y, and Z, because this is mm. what my life looks like right now. And I think yeah. that's another thing I would love to bring to this podcast is, and I'm trying to, is bringing more perspective and diversity to the show as well, sure. because my world is far different from anybody else's world and, and how they grew up and what games meant to them at an early age or what they mean mm. to them now in adulthood or, or whatever it happens to be. So I, I think that it's interesting. And that goes really for any medium too. You know, what, what did books mean to you when you were a kid? Nothing. Cause I didn't like to read. Um, now they mean a lot more. Yeah. Um, but I think games, because they have, they've not only, um, they can provide so many different types of experiences, but they can also, but they've also changed so much over the course of our lives mm. that we now have all these different types of experiences. I'm going to keep going back to that, what you talked about with Death Stranding, like that was impossible when we were kids, right? We couldn't yeah. have that type of communal experience with that game. Anyway, yeah. you, now I'm just rambling, but you, <laughs> what you said, I think was very helpful in the sense that like everybody's perspective with these things is going to be extremely different. And that goes mm-hmm. again for any medium, but I think specifically for video games, because of the amount of variety and the different types of games that are out there and the different ways you can interact with these experiences, I think mm-hmm. there's something for everybody and, uh, and how it hits at different moments in your life is an incredibly important thing to, to think about. Yeah. I think that it's, it's so valuable to to expose yourself and think critically about other people's experiences with things like you said not just in video games and everything i wanted to touch on asynchronous once more you said one other thing in there too about um not having the time to play when you uh started asynchronous i know i talked about like how what is the game selection here but what was the draw there you know was it i don't have a lot of time to play, but if I'm going to play, I need to be very selective with what it is I'm playing. And this might be a way to do that. Yeah, I think that was part of it. I also think it was a bit of, I I think you touched on this earlier, but it was a bit of like every time I would sit down to play a game, I would start to feel guilty. Yes, I have that. I have had that and I still have that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what it is about becoming an adult and, and becoming a responsible person that all of a sudden makes your enjoyment and your like enjoyment your your, your relaxation activity all of a sudden anxiety inducing yeah i you know and i think i think part of it is like uh if i want to get really basic with it i think part of it is like the capitalist machine you know like we if 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 we're not creating something if we're not contributing to something whatever then it is a waste of time and energy and like do i feel, do you feel that way with books or with movies I don't think so, honestly. And I think I, I I feel like I have heard you talk about this before in the past, maybe on like a zero counts 
show or something, or maybe I read one of your blogs or something, I, I think. Um, but talking about this, you know, this comparison, and I think it is partly a time commitment thing, but it's also it, like what we talked about in the very beginning of like games for such a long time were, were, were this kind of like edge case thing where like people who are playing games are, are, are wasting their time where they're like, you know, they're, 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 they're children. Like games are for babies. Like all games are Sonic two. And like, I, not even to make a value judgment on Sonic two. If you like Sonic two play Sonic two, you know, you don't have to be playing these like hugely narrative rich, you know, triple a Sony, uh, third person over the shoulder games in order for, to have value because those things are trying to emulate what film does. Like you can just, play a little game every once in a while and have fun, you know, <laughs> like having, having fun and relaxing, I think is a, is a hard thing to continue to value as you become a person who is forced to participate <laughs> in, in capitalism, you know, like, like you, you have to make money and you need to, you need to have a sustainable f- source of income so that you can do you know, get a house, rent an apartment, whatever, all of this stuff that, that people should be able to do, you, you need to work for it. And so if you're not doing that for, for me as a person who went through college, like all the, as I was going through college, it's like, okay, well, when I'm done college, I need to get a job and I need to be able to support myself and do all this stuff. And on that list was not, you need to be able to enjoy yourself. Like that's not a thing that we are taught how to do. That is a thing that we are always doing when we're not doing the thing we're quote supposed to be doing, you know? And, and I think for like games and books or sorry for movies and books, these are things that are small time commitments that are still like generally acceptable entertainment, you know, like these are things that like adults do because it makes you think or whatever. Like you're not allowed to just have silly fun times with Sonic and your, and your friend tales uh, as, as you become a contributing uh, person to society. Uh, which I think is bullshit, but I think it's really, really hard to unlearn that, you know, and, and awareness is a part of it. Like the fact that I'm aware of it is good, but that doesn't stop the feeling. And it's, it's, it's such a tough thing to, to power through that feeling uh, and, and continue to enjoy the thing that you've enjoyed for so long, you know, in, 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 in our cases, I guess. Um, like you said, some people get into games later, but you know, it's, this is a thing, this is a formative thing in, in my life is, is gaming. Um, and for it to be a thing I now feel guilty about is like bullshit and I hate it. Um, but I, I, I'm getting better at it. And, and to loop back around to asynchronous, starting that show gave me an excuse to play video games because I could be like, well, I'm getting paid to make this show because my, my co-host Kim very generously pays me to produce the show. I'm very, very grateful to her. But it also, you know, it, it gives me it, it, it gives me an excuse to sit down for five hours a week, play a game and then talk about it for a couple hours and then and then work on it. I have been able to take that feeling of like, well, I'm playing a game for work. I've been able to take that feeling um, to like, well, now I'm playing a game for enjoyment, which which is good. <laughs> it's, it's good. Um, but it was it was such a long journey to get here. And I hate that the thing that instigated the journey was having to play games for work. <laughs> like, but it is, 
And I could go into a whole other thing about why playing games for work also makes me feel guilty because it's like I'm watching my partner over here like, you know, ed- she, she's a she's a video editor and she's over here editing videos all day and, and whatever. And then I'm like, oh, well, I have to play Mass Effect for a few hours now. And this is part of my work day. And it's like a thing that I'm like, you know, I just said it in kind of a mocking tone. But it's like that that's how I feel about it sometimes. But it's like, no, play the game because you're having fun. But it's also a work thing. And like you're allowed. To, it's allowed to be both. And it's allowed to be one or the other but it's like you don't ever have to feel guilty about it it's just so it's just such a tough thing you know and and it, it stinks you know I, I think one of the things you're you started unpacking and uncovering there and again a big reason why I even wanted to start the show to begin with and the reason why I found it very interesting when I would hear celebrities talk about games because of this this concept of guilt mm-hmm. sometimes this guilt or shame around enjoying the the medium you know around enjoying playing or wanting to be all consumed with this thing i used to think and i sometimes i still think this um that playing games for work was like the ultimate like goal I be a <laughs> games journalist so you can play games and then write about them sure. um work in a game studio so you can make and play games all day the more people i chat with about those experiences um i see the pros and cons um mm-hmm. of it or I hear about the pros and cons of it, but there's still that desire of, of wanting to surround myself. And maybe if I do it for work, I won't have that level of guilt that I do when I do it for leisure. However, Definitely. it's very interesting for you to say that that you you experience that level of guilt when you, uh, you know, if you're playing Mass Effect for work and you're watching your partner actually do, you know, some sort of creative, uh, like creative yeah. type of work, right? Like pouring herself into something else. And Again, I think fighting through some of that 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 guilt we have around video games, and I'm not sure exactly what or why it is. Hmm. Early marketing of games being like these are toys, and and that's what mm-hmm. that's all they are. There's nothing serious here, yeah. and that's fine. Like you can, like this is this sounds reductive, but like <laughs> people play baseball for a living. People play. <laughs> games for a living the word i don't want to say the word game or the word play are things that should be should be associated with shame or guilt if you do them on a professional level or if that is what your life you know is yeah because i think there's so much value in play and wonder and 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 games you know and what they do for our psyche or mind or society yeah how they propel things forward but for whatever reason with video games maybe specifically there's something that we feel that that level of guilt that level of shame i don't i'm not going to feel the same way if i'm outside playing basketball or i'm inside playing chess mm. um or i'm sitting around a board game and maybe some types of board games here's another, that's another little piece like yeah. certain types of board games i might feel that that level of guilt but if i'm playing i don't know monopoly or or sure. something like that or a card game or yahtzee with with friends with with a collective mm. i don't feel that level of guilt that's a that that's a worthwhile time there's there's some sort of community in it. It's not a solo experience, but even if I'm playing solitaire, mm-hmm. I feel fine doing it. I don't feel shame, you know, yeah. playing around a solitaire by myself. Mm-hmm. So there's something very interesting with video games specifically, which, you know, I'm trying to uncover and unpack the, the reason why we care and the reason why, you know, it should be thought of differently or we should have different feelings about it, but we are unable to separate some of that, that guilt yeah. and shame. I, I think part of it is this like general self-seriousness that we are expected to have as adults where we aren't allowed, quote unquote, by society, also quote unquote, to 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 play 
right? Like once you reach a certain age, you stop saying you're going to go play with your friends and you're going to go hang out with your friends. Oh, sure. You know, you're no longer playing. You are now engaging in a community activity where we're all hanging out together doing a thing, you know? Uh, and so I, I think I think there's something in there uh, that is just like there is no other verb for video games at this moment, nor do I think there should be. I think we should still say we're playing a game rather than like we're experiencing an interactive media because I think there is value in play. And I, I think there is value in just doing something for the sake of your enjoyment and not for some grand purpose like you're not doing something in order to talk about it afterwards you're just doing something because you it's something that you like doing it makes you feel good like i feel like with tv all the time i don't think there's there's very few times where i'm watching a television show and i'm and i am like feeling enjoyment you know what i mean Mm. like i like tv and there are shows that i like to watch on a like succession is one of my favorite shows ever but i wouldn't necessarily say the emotion I'm feeling in the moments watching that show is is enjoyment, you know, or if it is, it's a very different kind of enjoyment than it is with with video games where you are, like we said so long ago now, you are uh, uh, interacting with the, the, the media. You you are. Uh, what did you say? You're you're not observing you are participating participating. Yes, participating. I just think there's such value in in a participatory piece of media. And, and just like in participating in enjoyment activities, I think is really good. Like, I think you brought up baseball. I think, you know, minor base, minor league baseball uh, or, or like AAA league baseball, whatever, you know, park league, whatever. Just like getting together with friends and playing baseball. I think there's such value in that. And I do think there, there is some of that stigma also of like, oh, well, you're playing baseball, like whatever. Um, but I think that is still more of a socially acceptable thing than like if I was telling somebody that I played a video game over the weekend. Like if I said I, I was in a, a baseball game with my friends over the weekend, they'd be like, oh, cool. But if I said I spent my entire weekend playing Mass Effect 2, they'd be like, oh, what a waste of time. You know, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I kind of just talked in a circle there, but no, 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 you didn't. And I think that leads into what I'll say next is when I think about waste of time, I've, I've tried to change my perspective a little bit on this, um, mm-hmm. you know, to try to fight through some of the the, the guilt or, or whatever around playing it is like, how much time do I spend on social media? Right. I've started, sure. to, I started to quantify that when things with Twitter started going south <laughs> and trying to figure out how much time am I actually spending on this? Now, I don't, I didn't think that my time spent on all of my time spent on Twitter was a waste. You can sit there and scroll and scroll and scroll. And at some point it becomes, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not a good thing to just keep <laughs> scrolling and scrolling and scrolling when all of a sudden right. you realize an hour has just gone by and you <laughs> haven't done anything but stare at the next thing in your feed. But if I sit back and say, today I spent one hour on Instagram or this weekend I spent four hours on, on Twitter total or whatever. Mm. If I look at that and go, well, if I didn't, I didn't need that at some point in my life because we didn't always have it. Right. If I substituted that four hours of Twitter with four hours of a video game, how is that any different? Yeah. And would I, it's probably in some regard healthier, uh, at some level. So Mm -hmm. Like what was the difference here? And I should just feel okay playing video games. To your point, I can't, if, if somebody asked, what did I do with my weekend? And I said, I spent four hours scrolling on Twitter. I think that they would, you get eyebrows that would raise. Yeah. Although, you know, that person just did the same thing too, right? Um, right. Maybe in some other app. That's just, 
the way the world works these days in most mm. cases is we spend so much time on these things. But putting it in that perspective, I think has helped me feel less guilty. Instead of grabbing my phone and just scrolling in whatever feed, I'll grab my switch and play, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of, of something. Yeah. It might be harder to find those points where I can put it down. I think that's such one of the challenges with games. I think we are now uh, the innovation of just like a sleep mode or putting something to sleep on yeah. your Steam Deck or your Switch is I think great. I can just put it yeah. down and pick up right where I left off. That's a big help, um, just like I can do with my phone. Mm-hmm. But again, that that substitution I think has really sort of helped me fight through some of the this. This isn't valuable time. I can pick up my Switch and I can have some fun. I can enjoy myself. Yeah. Like what is wrong with that? Yeah, uh, I think that's a great piece of, I guess, a piece of advice, you know, just to just to really th- think, I think thinking about it in that terms of like, if I were to tell somebody like if they asked what I did over the weekend, it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I was on Twitter for four hours. You know, I think that's like a thing that is worth considering. And I've definitely found myself in the last several months spending less and less time on social media for the better, I think. Um, but I was never really a super involved person on social media to begin with. I follow like 90% artists. And so I would just like be scrolling down and seeing like cool pieces of art. I'm like, neat. Um, I never really had the like doom scroll experience on Twitter, thankfully. But I totally think framing it as like an activity and not just a passive thing that everybody's doing uh, really helps like you said, to be able to substitute it with an actual kind of meaningful activity, you know, um, yeah. I think that's really good. I'm curious where, what excites you about the the future of games? You've seen games throughout your whole life. And again, you've spent a lot of time consuming people's opinions and thoughts and perspectives on games. Is there a theme or something you're seeing that, that excites you about what's around the corner or what's next? I think at a very basic level, I... I'm really looking forward to games becoming more and more accessible in in like every sense of the word in in terms of like how easy is it for for differently abled people to be able to play all games, but also in terms of how easy is it for a person to just get their hands on a video game. Um, like I said, a couple of years ago, I got the, the the Xbox Series S, which was alongside the rollout of Game Pass which I think is an absolutely buck wild service and really, really uh, alongside doing asynchronous and getting more comfortable playing games, uh, you know, in my free time, Game Pass has made that so easy. Like it's no longer a 60, 70, 80 dollar commitment to play a new game that I might like. I can I can download it or at least download a, a game preview in some cases you know, and, and uh, of a game, play it and see if I like it. And then, and then decide on the commitment. I think that is an absolutely wild tool. I think there's still, you know, obviously a whole lot of questions around what does it mean to be streaming games or what does it mean to have, you know, who owns these games and who, you know, is at liberty to say whether or not they can be on a service anymore, et cetera, et cetera. I think all that stuff, those are valid concerns. And I, I totally understand all that stuff, but I think, that is the thing that I'm most excited to see in the next five, 10, whatever years is is like cloud gaming and services like Game Pass that make it so much easier for a regular person to just pick up a game, play it, even if it's only for a few hours. Like I think there's there's some stat out there. I think it's the average person buys one video game a year, I think, and I, you know, not to say that there's anything wrong with only playing one new game a year, but like just the fact that I was able to last year have a top 10 
uh, is a thing that I have not been able to do probably since high school. You know, like for the first time in a decade, I was able to play 10 video games <laughs> that came out that year. And that's all uh, that came out last year. And that's all thanks to Game Pass. Um, and, and so I think I am really excited to see games become more of a not streaming specifically, but just just become a thing that more people can get their hands on. Um, at a moment's notice. Um, I think there's also plenty of cons with with these models as well, and it's not going to be a perfect thing on the first try. But I do think eventually we will reach a point where everybody will reliably be able to get their hands on a game whenever they want to and be able to play it for as long as they want to without having to budget it in every month you know yeah um, so so that's I think what is what is most exciting for me in gaming. That's cool. No, that's, I hadn't thought about it that way. And I think we take it, it's easy to take it for granted. All these games, mm. you know, that are available to us. Definitely. There, there are two, two sides to the coin though. I think there is a, an element of analysis paralysis where there's just so much. I'm like, yes. I don't know. I want to play a game, but I want to play like 20 different games and I don't yeah. know which one to choose. And then I end up not even picking one and I just go to bed. Or <laughs> definitely. That is definitely um, a part of it for sure. For sure. Yeah. When you get these big moments that are in the zeitgeist, like tears of the kingdom or an Elden yeah. ring or something that that draws me. That's like, if I'm going to play one, I'm play the one everybody's talking about right now. So right. I can have some sort of perspective and that's helpful. But there are moments where that doesn't happen. It's like, Oh my yeah. God, there's so much out here. Yeah. But I think it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that like when we were kids, you a had to, purchase all of your games in retail. You had to have a physical copy, right? There was no such yeah. thing as downloading. And that there was, I think there were more of, was more of a scarcity. There was just not as many games being developed. There weren't any developers. Everything mm. had to be, you know, developed by a studio, a larger studio and published and, and, and all of that. So it was not as prolific or ubiquitous. And so your selection was limited, so to speak. There were still a lot of games, but it was, it was limited, so to speak. And then as you get older, there are things that, you know, you start experiencing things like disposable income and you can spend mm. your money on things, right? It's not just like I did chores and my parents let me pick a game or they gave me 10 bucks and I got to save up to buy that one game that I can buy that year. That right. certainly happens. And I'm sure there are plenty of folks out there who, who do that or can't afford a game. Um, mm -hmm. but services like Game Pass, where if I have a fee, you know, a, a small fee that I can have this plethora of games at my disposal, I think that is that is absolutely wonderful, and it's very different from the world where, uh, you know, that, where we grew up and and didn't have access to fairly inexpensive services like Game Pass, like Apple Arcade, yeah. um, like Netflix, whatever. I think that's a really special thing to to be able to say there's something here. It may not be the, you know, top tier game or the game everybody's talking about right now, but it mm -hmm. was two or three years ago, or there's all these cool indie titles and smaller titles that get their, their, you know, uh, their due in these spaces and, and you can play them day and date or whatever it is. Yeah. So, um, yeah. that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Uh, just really quick to, to touch on you, you brought up our, our era growing up in games. I would, I think argue that like renting a game is somewhere up there where there is this whole catalog of like all the games that are out right now. And because of the limited amount of developers, like you can see every N64 game that's out right now on the shelf of your Hollywood video or whatever, pay $5, play it for five days and then never play it again. I think that is, that is the kind of, of, of value that I think I am looking forward to uh, coming back. Something, something along those lines of like effectively being able to rent a game, you know, and then just like give it back, you know, I, I don't know. I like it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter at AJ Falleri. Uh, I'm on Mastodon. I'm mostly, though, on the worstgarbage.online Discord, um, which is not really a place that you can tell people to go to if they don't 
listen to any of the shows on the network. Um, but hey, if you do and you're not on those discords and you want to talk to me, that's where I am, I guess. But you can also hear me on Asynchronous. Um, and we didn't even talk about Synchronous, which was uh, kind of a mini series we did where we talked about games we were playing from that year. Quick elevator pitch, elevator pitch for Synchronous. Go. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I played a lot of video games last year uh, and a lot of it was in the last like a uh, month of the year. And that was because of Synchronous, which is a, a video game zeitgeist show is the subtitle we have for that one, because it's games that are in the zeitgeist currently. Relevant games. <laughs> Relevant games. Yes. But uh, so you can hear me there. Uh, you can also hear my work on Into the Aether, uh, Loki video game podcast, which comes out on Wednesdays. You can hear my work on this little show called Why Button. Uh, you may have heard of it. Um, you can also hear my work weekly on Frog of the Week, which is a little show that I started up with my friends a couple years ago. Quick elevator pitch for Frog of the Week. Frog of the Week, uh, as Nick Qua weirdly uh, says, is it is what it says on the tin. It's a show where we talk about a frog for like three to four minutes. Uh, it's got some fun underscoring by our friend Brendan, who's also the host of Into the Aether. Uh, and Kim is the writer and host of that one. And then I do all the production on it. Definition of like a bite-sized podcast. Yes, yes, definitely. Definitely a bite-sized podcast. And and the weirdly my most commercially popular show that I've worked on. <laughs> It's incredible. Uh, it's so it. easy to pitch, though. It's just like it's a show about frogs. Yeah, you know, and it's it's like if you like frogs, great. If you don't like frogs, it's only three minutes. What are you losing? Um, so you can hear my work on that every week, uh, and then you can also for the next couple of weeks probably uh, hear me on Ten Very Big Books talking about the final book in the Malazan Book of the Fallen series. And then uh, let's see, what else? Anything else? I'm currently working on a narrative thing that I can't talk about yet. All right. Hey, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Uh, it was short yeah. notice, um, but I, I knew I wanted to have you on at some point. I'm glad we could uh, we could figure that out now. So there you have it, folks. That is AJ. You said Filari. I say Filari. I think uh, yeah. one of us might be right, and it's probably you because it's your name. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a hard time for me to switch. So and Yeah, Filari is how I was raised. I think Filari is probably like the proper Italian way to say it, but yeah, uh, it right. we've always said Filari, so I don't know what to tell you. I'm the one who's right. Uh, <laughs> AJ, Filari, Filari, thank you so much for, for joining yeah. me. Uh, this, was, this was a pleasure, and I look forward to hearing what you do with this episode. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on, Kyle. Well, I hope that was everything you and I hoped it would be. Like I said at the top, I have no idea what AJ has done with this episode, but I have full confidence that it was nothing short of amazing. Believe it or not, that was the first time AJ and I had spoken in person, quotes around person, uh, video conference, Zoom, whatever you want to call it. Needless to say, it was a great chat and I could have kept going on for so much longer. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. The easiest thing to do might be to share the website, whybutton.online. That includes links to the most popular podcast platforms out there. I'd also appreciate a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else supports that kind of thing. If you want to get in touch, ask me questions, or recommend guests, feel free to reach out to whybuttonpodcast at gmail.com or on Mastodon at whybutton at mastodon.social. You can also find me on Mastodon at kylestar at mastodon.social. If you're trying out threads, I'm also there too, underscore Kyle Star. This episode was produced, as I've mentioned quite often, by AJ, uh, the the wonderful, the talented AJ Filari. I, I, I hope it was good. I'm glad, I know it was good. I know it was good. Our theme song was written by Child Star, who's me, featuring my friend Scott Wilkie. It's called On the Same Page, and you can find it on all streaming platforms. Thanks again for listening to Y Button, and remember, when you press Y, ask why. <laughs>